doctors don't have a clear understanding of it. It started opening up my mind to like, how does the human body work? This is a real thing that really affects people. This is a major pain. Welcome to Major Pain. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury, and this week we'll be speaking with Brooke, whose full list of major pains includes asthma, type 1 diabetes, rheumatoid arthritis, Hashimoto's disease, heart failure, diabetes insipidus, dysautonomia slash POTS, mast cell disorder, gastroparesis, adrenal cancer, adrenal insufficiency, Graves' disease, and a potential diagnosis of kidney cancer. So yes, that is a lot. That is a long list. And although Brooke is experiencing so much and going through so much, she's still in this fight. She's still battling through these major pains. My overwhelming takeaway from this conversation was how fun it was. (laughs) We just had a great conversation. We had so much fun talking to each other. We went through the list of conditions and discussed what they all were, when Brooke was diagnosed, what they feel like, as well as her battle to be approved for disability status, where she actually had to go to court. This is such a special conversation, another one of these conversations that really stuck with me. Uh, I carried it around with me for days after we talked, and it really just kind of lifted me up because it was so much fun, and we had so much uh, catharsis in talking about major pains and living with them, and you know, it's what this show is all about. So this is a great, great episode I'm so excited to share with you. This episode of Major Pain is made possible with the support of listeners on Patreon. Extra special thanks to our Patreon producers, Steve Cavanaugh and Chris Fowler. If you're interested in supporting this show, you can find all the ways to do so, financial and otherwise, on our website, majorpainpodcast.com support. This conversation is a little on the long side, so I'm going to keep this very brief for the intro. One thing I do need to tell you this week is that there is a slight possibility that we will not have a show next week. I've been feeling a little bit under for the last week, and I've already had to postpone some recordings, and we're actually going to go in for some diagnostic tests tomorrow just to make sure there's nothing new going on. And yeah, it's getting me a little bit behind on the schedule, and I just want to give myself the freedom to not put out a show next week if that's what my body needs. So I just wanted to put that out there just in case. It's really important to me to, you know, to stick to the schedule, to stick to a weekly schedule. When I say, as a content creator, I'm going to put a show out every week, I really intend to do that. So I just want to get ahead of it. If I see if I see it coming around the corner that it might not happen, I just want to let you know. Uh, I don't want to leave, leave anyone hanging out there. I've heard from people that this show is a big part of their weekly ritual, and I take that very seriously. I, I really, really appreciate that. And I want that as a creator, you know, that's what I want for this show. So um, I just wanted to warn you that it might not happen next week. Fingers crossed that I will be able to pick back up the schedule and get things get things moving again. But just in case, be forewarned that it might be a couple of weeks until you hear from me again. If I am not able to get a show out, I will try to post something up on our social media to let you know. So make sure you're following us on TikTok. Tic Tac on TikTok and on Instagram at Major Pain Podcast. And with that, let's get into our conversation with Brooke about her many major pains. Brooke, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jesse. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm very excited to talk to you today. We've been emailing back and forth quite a bit over the last few weeks, um, just talking about all sorts of stuff. You've been very helpful with me and my own disability journey, but this is the first time that we've we've been able to meet virtually face-to-face, and I'm very excited to talk to you. Yes, I'm excited to talk to you, too. I'm glad 
glad it worked out today. Yes, we've had a couple reschedules. <laughs> Just a few. <laughs> yeah, whenever whenever two people with chronic illness try to do anything, you know, it takes some time, but we're doing it. <laughs> it's an act of Congress, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm still amazed that I ever get anything recorded, but we're here, we're doing it. I'm very excited. Yes. So, Brooke, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I am, obviously, my name's Brooke. I am 42 years old, and I grew up in northern Indiana, and I currently live in central Indiana, Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, before getting sick, I was an educator for the deaf, oh, for wow. people who can't hear, and also was an interpreter for the deaf. And... Um, Obviously, because of my health issues, I can no longer do a lot of that work. Um, so now it's myself and I have a Persian cat. Um, he's 12 years old. And in my free time, I really enjoy um, volunteering occasionally at a, it's a medical mission. So they, you know, collect supplies from hospitals and patients, and then they ship them over to third world countries where people are literally passing away because, you know, they can't get IV fluids. Wow. So that's a little bit about me, I guess. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, that's so important. I, uh, I took uh, sign language for three years, or three semesters, I guess, um, oh. after college just for fun, and or American Sign Language, ASL, and it's fascinating. It's such an incredible language. So that's so cool yeah, that you um, did some interpreting. Yeah, it's it's a complex language. Um, like your facial expressions help to convey the meaning and things mm -hmm. like that. It's it's pretty complicated. Yeah, it's that that's the thing that really struck me about it is that there's so much um, body language that goes into it besides just your hands. Um, really, really interesting. I I never really got the knack for it, but I could like memorize things and say them. But conversationally, taking that leap from knowing what a few words are to be able to being able to converse is a huge leap to take. Yes, yeah, it's a whole different skill set when you're you know signing with your hands, but then when you have to read someone else's signs, mm -hmm. but it's whole different skill set. Yeah, I'm always so. Um, I'm so impressed by anyone who can speak sign language. And I know that, you know, for, for people who where that's their main form of communication, they're like, yeah, well, you speak a language also, and it's no big deal. So, but, you know, right, from, right. from the outside trying to learn it, I've just always been bad with languages in general. I'm just lucky I even got one down. <laughs> <laughs> you got English down, yes. <laughs> yes, for the most part, pretty close. <laughs> um, well, let's get into this. Brooke, what is your major pain? Well, my major pain is um, kind of complex. Yeah. I have a variety of health conditions. I, I guess I'll just go ahead and maybe list those really quick sure. so that you guys kind of have an idea. So um, asthma, type 1 diabetes, rheumatoid arthritis, Hajimoto's, thyroid disease, um, heart failure, <laughs> diabetes insipidus. Uh, dysautonomia, also called POTS, uh, mast cell disorder, gastroparesis, adrenal cancer, adrenal insufficiency, Graves' disease, and now suspected kidney cancer. Wow, that is a list. 
it's a list. <laughs> yeah. That's it's a lot. That's a lot. I think that this is absolutely the most diagnoses of anyone that we've talked to so far. Before we get into the the specifics of these conditions, what what is your general experience of having this many diagnoses? Is it a difficult thing for you to talk about with other people or with doctors? It really is a difficult thing. Um you know, when you're, when I'm talking to other people, whether they're friends or new friends or even acquaintances, you know, you, you, they ask what's wrong and it's like, where do I even begin? And then you try to explain a little bit and, you know, their eyes kind of glaze over and you know that you've completely lost them. So it's, it's really hard. Um, and then with doctors, it's, extremely difficult you know they only probably spend like five minutes looking at your chart before they come in to see you and I can't and then the appointments are like 10 minutes long maybe 15 minutes long and I can't even begin to describe all this to them in 15 minutes yeah that's that's so frustrating I mean when I I just had a first appointment a couple days ago with the endocrinologist and he had oh, read he- my chart before I got in there. He was familiar with what? me. Yeah. <laughs> and I, it was like stunning to me. That, that almost never yeah. happens. They almost always kind of come into the appointment and try to catch up while you're sitting there in front of them. And with a complex case like yours, that's not possible in the amount of time that they've allotted to you. So, yeah. Right. I, mean, ugh, I, can't, I can't even imagine trying to do that. I mean, with what I've going on, it's complicated enough. Um, yeah. So, I'm curious about... Uh, before, I want to go through all of these, and we're going to talk through the history of everything. But before we do, um, there's a couple of things here that I, I haven't heard of. I know we've talked about a lot of these um, conditions on the show before in one form or another. I know everyone's experience with every condition is different. But I'd love for you to tell me just about a couple of these before we go back and do the whole list. Um, what What is diabetes insipidus? That's a great question. <laughs> so not to be confused with the type of diabetes that you hear about everywhere where you have to, you know, watch your blood sugar and stuff like that. Diabetes insipidus is actually a pituitary disorder. So the pituitary gland, it's an endocrine gland. It's in the brain and it makes a hormone that tells your kidneys to concentrate your urine. So I'm lacking that hormone. So basically what happens, the gist of it is everything that I drink immediately goes right through me. Like I urinate it out. Wow. I mean, within probably an hour. So obviously when that happens, you know, you can get severely dehydrated. It messes with your electrolytes and and things like that. So yeah. So um diabetes insipidus can be caused by a couple of different things. Uh it can be caused by a small pituitary tumor on the brain. Um in my case, like the blood vessels in my brain are actually squeezing the pituitary gland and making it not function properly. Wow. Okay. You were kind enough to email me this list so I can take a look at it. So uh, I think people will be familiar with asthma, type 1 diabetes, rheumatoid arthritis, Hashimoto's we've talked about a little bit um, in, in the past on this show. We're going to get into that a little more today. Um, an adrenal tumor. What What is an adrenal tumor? So everyone has uh, two adrenal glands. Well, most everyone. 
And the adrenal glands sit on top of each kidney. There's one on top of each kidney and it controls like your fight or flight response. Um, it controls like sex hormones, testosterone, um, your cortisol levels, um, epinephrine, those type of hormones, like it's a complicated gland. <laughs> it yeah. really is. But so um tumors on the adrenal sometimes can be benign, so they're not cancerous. In other cases, they can be cancer. Okay. Wow. Um and we just talked about diabetes insipidus, dysautonomia and POTS. We've talked about a little bit. That's where you um it's like a dysregulation of your autonomic nervous system where you can get really dizzy. Um, right. Mast cell disorders, we've also talked about a little bit in the past with uh, intense allergic reactions to a whole bunch of things. Um, gastroparesis, difficulty with your um, intestinal tract. Um, and then adrenal cancer. This is one I've never heard of either. What is an adrenal cancer? So, um, adrenal cancer is extremely rare. It only happens to one in a million people. Wow. So... You know, like I said, the adrenal glands, each, there's one on top of each kidney. And so when you have an adrenal cancer, the hormones in your body just go crazy. Like your cortisol, cortisol levels go really, really high. You can get like weight gain and um, like men can start to develop breasts and then females can start to develop like hair on their face and male pattern baldness. and. Mm. Lots of crazy stuff because of the way it messes with hormones. Wow. Okay. So you had an adrenal tumor and then later found out you had adrenal cancer. Is that correct? Right. That's okay. right. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. Um, and then I see adrenal insufficiency. Is that a result of the cancer? Right. Um, so they took out the, the tumor and one of my adrenal glands. And so the result is adrenal mm. insufficiency. Okay. And then uh, Graves' disease. What is Graves' disease? So Graves' disease is a thyroid disorder. And I didn't realize, so when I was diagnosed with Hajimoto's thyroiditis many years ago, I didn't know that you could have actually have antibodies for both Hajimoto's mm. and Graves' disease. Oh, wow. Okay. So like... I swing like right in the last two years, I've been swinging on the graves side of, of the disease where I'm really hyperthyroid. So everything's, you know, really fast. And, um, but here recently I've been swinging towards the Hajimoto side where mm -hmm. things are more slowed down. Yeah. So. You just triggered my memory when we talked to Mac about her, um, suspected, uh, endocrine issue they, they you know going through the diagnostic process she was mentioning either Hashimoto's or Graves um, and she wasn't sure if she had either or one or the other so it sounds like that's something that other people experience as well not knowing yeah. which one of those they have and then the last one on the list is kidney you said suspected kidney cancer yes and the last three months um, so they've been watching a spot on my kidney for a little while well it has grown and they kind of wondered, you know, is, is this adrenal cancer like happening in your kidney? But now they're kind of more leaning towards it being an actual kidney cancer. Wow. So it's been crazy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So now that we've gone through the list, we have 
a very small idea of what all these conditions are. What is your what does your day-to-day symptom picture look like right now? Like, what what does all this do in one person's body? How do you feel day-to-day? I'm sure that will vary, but what what is your functionality right now? Okay, I guess I'll take you through a, sp- a quick typical day. Yeah. So, I don't, don't sleep at night, and I don't know what exactly is causing that. Um, you know, I don't know if it's like the Graves disease making everything ramped up and you can't sleep or... I think dysautonomia, I think, can cause sleep disturbances. So, like, some days I'll sleep and other days I'm awake for days on end. Hmm. Um, so, that's hard. And then, obviously, well, not not everyone with POTS or dysautonomia passes out, but I do pass out frequently. So, that's hard, too. I have a lot of fatigue, and I don't mean, like, I'm sleepy. I mean, just like, you know, if I go to out to a store one day, then the next day or two, I'm often just, you know, in bed and need to rest. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's called like post-exertion malaise or something mm. like that, you know, yeah. where you're, you're just totally wiped out. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I guess that's kind of a typical day. I just, I think the worst thing is the fa- fatigue and the fact that everything is so unpredictable. Yeah. You know, I, I can be okay today or this hour and three hours from now be totally trash. It's yeah, just, absolutely. That happens to me too. It's so frustrating. Yeah. You just yeah. want to, you want to be able to plan anything. And then when you try and you have to cancel or reschedule, it's really hard for other people to understand why you are always doing this. And yeah. you don't want to do it, but you have to because it's what your body is demanding in that moment. And your body's like, mm-hmm. it, for me, it feels like my body's like an angry two-year-old. It's like, I want to nap. <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't want to nap. I want to go, I want to go take a shower. Oh my God. Now I want to sleep for the rest of the day. I'm hungry. No, I don't want to eat anything. <laughs> it's like, well, can we, can we at least please plan this one thing to do tomorrow at 7 PM? No, <laughs> maybe we'll see. Yeah. I always feel, I find myself feeling so guilty too. Like, you know, when someone invites me or they want me to go do something with them and I can't, like the guilt is so hard. I mean, I know that I physically can't, but I don't know. Yeah. I, just, I feel guilty about it. Yeah, totally. I know we shouldn't. It's hard not to feel like, you know, I, I know like my health condition is not my fault. But it's hard not to feel like it is because it's my body, it's happening to me. The result that it has on my friends and family is generated by by something that is happening to only me. Um, so in that way, it feels like my fault, even though there is no fault involved. And then I feel guilty because it feels like my fault. And it's a very frustrating cycle. Yes, yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to learn how to let that go. Yeah. I haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> I haven't either. It's been almost seven years and I still struggle with it so much. <laughs> wow. So your health journey started seven years ago. Take me back to when this started. Um, so prior to, to 2015, I was able to work and I had a pretty normal life. And back then I was dealing with uh, type 1 diabetes, the rheumatoid arthritis and Hajimoto's and asthma. So those four things and, you know, had a productive, normal life, went to college, was working full time, all that kind of stuff. 
And then in June of 2015, like all in one day, I found that I could, I couldn't even get up off the couch. I was just so, so like breathless all the time and so tired and weak. And, um, you know, later we realized that what was happening is, uh, well, the dysautonomia was starting for me. So that was, you know, contributing to this really high heart rate. And that high heart rate actually led me into heart failure Hmm. or cardiomyopathy. So a weakened heart. Um, So that's kind of when everything fell apart. (laughs) And it was just been this downhill, you know, slide since then. Wow. So you already had four conditions before then, asthma, type 1 diabetes, rheumatoid arthritis, and Hashimoto's. can you tell me a little bit more about Hashimoto's? That's one that I'm I'm v- slightly familiar with. So Hashimoto's is a thyroid condition. It's an auto autoimmune condition where basically your immune system starts attacking your thyroid mm-hmm. and it no longer works properly. What I didn't realize is that Hashimoto's can make you swing like your thyroid levels can swing between too low and too high. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's a difficult thing to live with because you're frequently swinging. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Yeah. I mean, any, any one of those things on their own can be debilitating. I mean, rheumatoid yeah. arthritis is no joke either. Uh, where, right. where did that pain manifest for you? I actually was um, interpreting for the death mm. and uh, my fingers were locked up like this. Like yeah. they, my first two fingers were bent and I couldn't really sign. So it started with that. And um, it was hard because, you know, that's, that was what I was doing at the time. And yeah. so I had to go see a rheumatologist and they figured out that I had RA. Wow. And how old were you when that happened? Uh, let's see, 32. Okay. And what about the Hashimoto's diagnosis? That was around age 32 also. Okay. And what about uh, type 1 diabetes? When did that start for you? Well, that's an interesting uh, ordeal. <laughs> so um, that started around age 32, 33. So I had went to the doctor. I was peeing the bed. I know, embarrassing. <laughs> it <laughs> happens. But I, so I told this doctor and... um. I said, I, you know, if I eat a candy bar or something like that, I feel really sick afterwards. And he said, well, stop eating candy bars. <laughs> so he did some blood tests and he's like, oh, you're a type two diabetic. Hmm. Here, here are some pills. I want you to check your blood sugar once a day and go about your life. Well, six months later, I ended up in the hospital in ICU because I actually had type one diabetes Hmm. and needed insulin. You have to have insulin to live when you're a type one diabetic. Wow. So this doctor, it sounds like wasn't really taking you that seriously and caused some harm because of that. Right. Doctors just assume that if you're an adult with diabetes, that you have type two diabetes. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and not doctors often assume the the most likely scenario right. without actually checking 
And right. this that's something that's been a huge problem for me is like, you know, I'm coming in and I'm like, I've got this 10 year history of diagnostics. You know, the most likely thing isn't going to help me anymore. Like we've looked at all those. Can you please look a little deeper? Can you please run yeah. some more tests? And it can be like twisting their arm to get them to do that. Yeah. My, my adrenal cancer doctor. So adrenal cancer is very rare. He mm. said that, you know, doctors are trained to look for horses, which is more common and not to look for zebras. Mm. And, you know, people with rare, unusual conditions are usually referred to as zebras. Mm. I like that. Yeah. 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 And that's why you got to learn to advocate for yourself. You know, you can't just take no for an answer from from, from doctors sometimes. And, you know, it's not, I, I, I feel like I talk down on doctors a lot and that's not my intention because I like the doctors that I have that, that treat me well, I, I appreciate them so much, so, so, so much. And I also recognize that a lot of doctors see people who are, you know, like there are hypochondriacs out there. There are people out there who are, you know, very, very stressed out about like a torn muscle or something or, or something that will heal. Um, I mean, a torn muscle is a big deal too, but you know, <laughs> Let, let's right. say that's, that's the wrong, like a sore muscle. Like if you, if you work out too hard and your muscles are sore and you go into the doctor and you're like, oh my God, I'm dying. You know, um, I'm sure that <laughs> happens too, but I feel like for, for the most part, um, with all the people that I talk to, it's just so common for people to go in and complain of something and not get the care that they need because the doctors are not willing to look deep enough and, I don't know how to feel about that. Sometimes I feel really angry about that. But I do feel like, you know, it's there's no use in putting blame on anyone and we just have to learn how to push and advocate. You know, I'm I um I call my doctor all the time now. Like I used to not do this where it's like, "Hey, this test that you said you were going to order, I haven't gotten the call yet to do it." I'm now calling like every day. If I haven't gotten a call from the person that I'm expecting from the pharmacist or whatever, if if my prescription is is not there. I'm calling every day. And 90% of the time, the thing that I'm calling for has not been dealt with yet on the doctor's side. And they're busy. So, you just have to kind of push and push and push. And I used to be afraid of like losing care because of that and, and the doctor like being unwilling to help me because of that. But I'm finding that the more I push, um, you know, the more things are actually happening. And if I don't push, nothing happens. No care will happen. And it's so frustrating. That's right. It is. It is yeah. frustrating. I was actually just talking about that same thing with a nurse yesterday. One of my blood tests has been messed up for the last year and no one has caught it. The hospital didn't catch it. Um, like the, the actual blood samples weren't being sent, sent yeah. out to the right place and <laughs> resulted. And, and she's like, how does the doctor not catch this? And I'm like, well, I don't know. <laughs> you know it's like you have to follow up on everything every detail you have to follow up on Mm -hmm. every detail if if the test is not if you have not physically had the test and gotten the results keep pushing until you do it's yes it's insane i mean i i I used to feel so differently about doctors i used to feel like you go in they tell you what to do and then you do it and that's it you know if they if you say hey this thing hurts and they tell you oh it's probably nothing then it's probably nothing but right i that thinking really slowed down my healthcare for years because I wasn't pushing as hard as I could have. Um, yeah, it's just such a valuable skill. And if you're a zebra, if you're a zebra, you have to push constantly. If you're a horse, 
then you'd get in and out and it works and that's great. And I think most, right. most people are horses. Um, yep. but there's a lot of zebras out there. There's way more than I think are even known because so many people go their whole lives living in pain because doctors aren't willing to take them seriously. So you got to take yeah. yourself seriously. You got to trust yourself, believe your symptoms, um, and just push and push and push. And if doctors aren't willing to help you go see someone else, you don't owe anything yeah. to any doctor. Right. Yeah. Don't stay in a, I did that for so long. Don't stay with a bad doctor. You're just yeah. not going to get anywhere. Sometimes you got to move on. Yeah. It's like an abusive relationship. You got to, yes. you got to get out. Yep. Yeah. So it sounds like when you had some trouble, some, um, some manageable health conditions, and then when you were around 32, things kind of exploded. Um, so what did, what did that feel like at the time? It must've been really scary. Yeah. So in June, 2015 is kind of when my health just, ex just exploded. Um, all these health issues started happening and, you know, prior to that, I had been able to, I had been able to work and like do all these things. And then suddenly I was just floored, you know, like wiped out on the couch. I couldn't even just walking across the room. I was so breathless. I couldn't even, uh, it was awful. I went from showering once or twice a day to being unable to shower, you mm. know, except maybe once a week. And yeah. it was just like, it was so scary because no one could tell me in the beginning what was wrong. We didn't know about the dysautonomia. We didn't know that I had any heart problems. Um, in fact, the cardiologist that I saw, she was like, oh, you know, you're in your 30s, you're young, there's nothing wrong with you. And then they did an echo, uh, an ultrasound of my heart. And she, it was a Friday night, she called me at home on a Friday night. And she's like, uh, you're in heart failure. <laughs> and <laughs> what, just, is, what does that mean? It sounds dire. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, in the beginning, it was super scary, because I'm like, they're talking about, you know, if your heart doesn't improve, you may need a machine to keep your heart going mm. or a transplant, like scary stuff. And, you know, over a period of time, we realized that the dysautonomia or the POTS was contributing to my heart failure. So that fast heart rate was making my heart weak. So as we have, have tried to fix the fast heart rate, my heart failure has stabilized. Oh, wow. How, what do you do to, to fix that? Is it a medication? Yeah, it's medication. And then for me, I'm on continuous IV fluids. Mm. And that seems to stabilize, stabilize my blood pressure and heart rate too. Wow. Okay. When did you d discover the adrenal tumor? That was actually in June of 2015 as well. Hmm. Um, so I had went to the, I had went to the emergency room in June of 2015 um, because I was having kidney pain. So they did a CAT scan of my kidneys, of my stomach. <clears throat> and they sent me home and said, oh, you're fine. Well, I read my medical records two months later and found out that they failed to tell me I had a tumor on my adrenal gland. What? Yeah. So is that I didn't a, know. Isn't that illegal? <laughs> you, would you would think. 
like how do how do they miss stuff like this yeah I, I don't know so anyway i found about i found out about the adrenal tumor and then i started the process of trying to find a doctor who knew how to work up adrenal tumors like what tests to run how to, to how to determine if it's cancer or not and actually in 2016 i went to one of the best hospitals in the nation for adrenal cancer and they told me that it was not cancer hmm. that they were 99.9 percent .9 sure it was not cancer and so yeah it's been a been a crazy road yeah okay so once they discovered this this tumor um they decided it wasn't cancer and then it was it just kind of like a wait and see and and watch what happens situation right so th this and i'm not gonna i won't name the medical institution but so i went to one of the best in the nation and they said you know it's not adrenal cancer um you don't need to do anything more you don't need to watch it well i came back home after those those appointments and my doctor my primary doctor she said i just have a hunch that there's something not right here you know based on your symptoms you're gaining weight you've got like this there's a certain look to people who have adrenal cancer hmm. um so anyway she continued to follow to follow me and she advocated for me to get scans done every six months well the tumor started to grow mm. and um then she helped push to get a surgeon to take it out and once it was taken out then we found out that it was a high grade high stage um uh, adrenal cancer wow man <laughs> Yeah, I know that, you know, I've had testicular cancer and I know that sometimes they can't tell if something is cancer until they've removed it from your body. Like I had right. to have an orchiectomy, which is when they remove a testicle. And I didn't know that I had cancer for sure until they had taken my testicle out. And right. Yeah. Right. So I, I'm a little familiar with, with that. And it seems kind of insane, you know, to do a massive surgery before you know if you have cancer, but that's how it works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like Get that stuff out. <laughs> yeah, like the problem is if you try to biopsy cancer to make sure it's cancer, it can spread. So yes. you have to remove it from the body before you biopsy it to check what it is. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, and I'm so grateful that you had a doctor willing to advocate for you. You know, yes. it keeps coming back to this. Like the medical system is looking for reasons to not help you because they're busy, you know? <laughs> and right. Unless you have an advocate, someone willing to push for you. And oftentimes you have to be that for yourself. Um, and, and you have to keep pushing and pushing to find someone in the system to advocate for you. And then you, then you have some avenues to pursue. Like my primary care doctor is incredible. Um, he's, uh, he's a nurse, which I actually think is, you know, I recommend now because um, he really listens and he really, um, you know, pushes for me. Like every time I talk to him, he's like, I'm so sorry, we haven't found answers for you. I will order as many tests as it takes. And that's oh. amazing. You know, that's so that rare. And I, it's yeah. because I've like, it's because I've switched doctors until I found someone willing to do that. So I'm so glad that you had that with this doctor who was willing to push for this tumor to be removed. Because otherwise, I'm sure it, it would have been, I'm, I'm assuming it would have been fatal if you hadn't taken it out. 
Right. It was, um, it was stage three disease. Wow. And the surgeon that I went to, she's like, Oh, we don't think it's cancer. And we want to wait six months. And my primary doctor was like, No, you're taking it out. So if we had waited six months, it would have been a stage four, mm-hmm. which is like the worst for mm-hmm. adrenal cancer. Yeah. It would have been a stage four and completely everywhere. So, wow. you know, I don't know what, what the next year or couple of years is going to hold in that respect. You know, if I will, you know, somehow live past adrenal cancer, I don't know, but she has definitely extended my life. Yeah. Definitely. So what do you do after the surgery? Do you have to do chemo? So adrenal cancer doesn't, it does not respond well to traditional chemotherapy. Um, you know, like most people receive, um, and it doesn't respond well to radiation. So hmm. there's actually only one drug on the market because adrenal cancer is so rare. It only has one drug. And that drug is not usually very effective for patients. So uh, the survival rates of people with stage four cancer, adrenal cancer, is only like 10% of people live. Hmm. It's it's a, a very poor prognosis. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I do know someone who had a, a cancer with a, with a similar prognosis who who made it through and has been cancer free for years. So it happens, you know, I mean, yes. getting a, like my cancer <laughs> was a 95% success rate. Like testicular cancer is the highest, uh, best prognosis cancer. That I really? Think. I didn't know that. That's what I've been told by mm-hmm. my doctors. Is it, it's either mm-hmm. the best or one of the best. And they're even saying that it might be closer to 99%. If you catch it and you do surgery, there's no chemotherapy, you don't have to, all you have to do is just take it out um, because it's very unlikely for it to spread. It can spread to um, to uh, the lymph nodes in the stomach, I think. I mean, obviously with any cancer, if you don't take it out, it, it can be very, right. very bad. But um, if you catch if you catch testicular cancer early, the prognosis is extremely good. And that's exactly what happened to me. I caught it early, got it cut out, and then... Um, I just did follow up for five years. Nothing ever happened again. But I know firsthand, even with that situation, I know the fear of cancer returning. It's something that you live with for the rest of your life. It's like I've had cancer. Is I I obviously am at risk for cancer because I've had it. (laughs) So right, it could you know the knowledge that it could come back is really difficult to live with. Um, how do you how do you manage that? Are you managing that? Um, yeah, like you said, it is like every every bump <laughs> that you find on your body is like, is that cancer? Yeah, yeah, it's it, it it's hard. It's I, I don't I, I don't have a good way of how to deal with it. I guess you just do, you know, like yeah. you. Yeah, human just, human beings are adaptable and things that are horrifying become normal um, right? over a time. Look at the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's remember how horrifying this was at the beginning and now it's like it's so commonplace. We learn to live with horror, you know? That's why so many things fall through the cracks, I think, is because people become desensitized 
to trauma and horror because we're surrounded by it in our daily lives. Very true. Yeah. Very true. Wow. Okay. Your story is incredible so far, by the way. I just have to say, like, <laughs> I'm just so, I feel so lucky to be, to be able to document and share your story because it's incredible. Oh, so thank, thank you for being here. I appreciate here. you telling, I appreciate you telling people about some of these rare issues, you know? Yeah. I mean, I hope it can help someone. My great hope is that people, you know, people that listen to this show will suffer less because they've heard other people's firsthand experience of what goes wrong. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. We can tell them all about that, can't we, Jesse? <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> all right. So, so you find the adrenal tumor and then eventually you have it removed, discover it's cancerous. And then because I have this great list of all your diagnoses in order, I know that between the adrenal tumor being found in the adrenal cancer diagnosis, you also have the diagnosis in between those of the diabetes insipidus, the dysautonomia and POTS, the mast cell disorder, and the gastroparesis. So those things happened in between, is that correct? They happened in between this discovery of your adrenal tumor and then that tumor being removed? Correct, right. And, you know, it's hard to say what caused those issues. I don't know that that anyone necessarily knows what causes dysautonomia, mast yeah. cell disorder, and gastroparesis. But a lot of times, those three things seem to come together. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, some doctors have speculated that the adrenal cancer made these all these extra hormones that may have revved, revved up the immune system and perhaps caused the dysautonomia, mast cell disorder, and gastroparesis. But wow. it's hard to say. It's, there seems to be a connection. You know, they all kind of came together um, around the time that the adrenal tumor was first found. Mm -hmm. So it's anything's possible, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's it's so tough because some things just happen, you know, like, I, I right. was never able to get an answer to why I had testicular cancer. That answer is never going to exist. It just happens sometimes. And yeah, yeah. I mean, it makes sense that if you have an adre adrenal tumor um, and it's making all of your hormones go haywire, that that would have other effects on the body. And maybe because like we just don't understand autoimmune disorders at all. You know, we, no. we, know, we, we know how to categorize a lot of them and we know how to treat or manage a lot of them. Um, treat, not cure, but, you know, manage. Um, yeah, so it's so tough when you're just inside of this storm where things are, it's like a tornado coming through and like you're, you know, like the tornado picks up a house and throws it at your body and all of a sudden you have, you know, mast cell activation syndrome. <laughs> yeah. And you're already sick yeah. and you're already dealing with stuff and then more stuff keeps getting thrown at you and you just have to kind of like build up this, um, it's like bodybuilding, but for diseases where you have to build up this uh, mm -hmm. muscle, which is being able to deal with health problems. <laughs> right. Yeah. As right. you're becoming weaker because you have health problems. It's so right. hard. <laughs> yeah. It was, it's like somebody just opened Pandora's box and everything yeah. just exploded. <laughs> oh my goodness. What is your, um, so we've talked a little bit about, diabetes insipidus and dysautonomia what what is your uh presentation of mast cell disorder what are your i mean you know for anyone who's unfamiliar this is like um 
extreme allergies, like you'll be exposed to environmental factors and your body will just freak out. What are your environmental triggers? Um, in the last couple of years, it's gotten a lot better. I'm mm. on Zolayer Zolayer injections, so that's that's helped a lot. And I'm on IV Benadryl too. That's helped a lot. But I wouldn't say that it was that my reactions were consistent. Like one mm. day I would react to one thing, maybe I don't know, like the fragrances say at a store might set me off being around all those smells that mm -hmm. might cause reactions. Um, and then another day it wouldn't. Um, definitely heat, like being hot would mm -hmm. always cause yeah. major hives and reactions. And it's, it's just really random the way that mast cells work. You know, yeah. it's just. How were you diagnosed with, with mast cell? Um, they did a 24-hour urine mm. uh, test and some other blood tests. But it was hard to catch it because you have to do these tests like right after a reaction. Mm -hmm. So when your body's like flooded with all this histamine, then you have to go and get these tests done. So it was complicated to get diagnosed. Yeah. But that's awesome that you have uh, something that's helping with that. This is the first time I've heard of that, actually. That you can, yeah. that there is a drug that helps with with mast cell activation syndrome. Um, yeah, the, yeah. Go ahead. The Zolaire has been very, very helpful, helpful for me. Yeah, yeah, and I can see that you have a. Is that a Hick line? Yeah, I have a Hickman, a Hickman Central line. Yeah, so you can just hook up any IV drugs. You have this port ready to go, and you can just inject it right in anytime. Right. Yeah, that makes a difference, too. I don't have to <clears throat> go to the emergency room so often. I can do IV Benadryl if I need it. Mm. Okay, so that's as needed. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> See, this is the other thing is like a lot of science is, and doctor stuff is amazing, you know, and like so <laughs> helpful. Like the fact that you have something you can do at home where you can inject like IV Benadryl at home. That's incredible. Like that is a testament to, to what science and doctors are capable of. It's like getting to the point where you get the care is the problem, you know, like yes. getting to the point where yeah. someone will listen to you and take you seriously and do the thing is the problem. So, yeah. wow. I've always said that, you know, if I lived maybe 20 years ago, and all this happened mm, that I probably mm. wouldn't have survived. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, how do, it's just amazing how much science has evolved. Like, how is it possible to live with tubing in your body? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> and it not get like infected and kill you. I mean, it can happen, but it doesn't happen all the time. <laughs> yeah. And like, what will happen in, in the next 20 years? You know? Right. And that's, yeah. I mean, medicine is making these like leaps and bounds advances and this whole, um, you know, the push for the COVID vaccine and the uh, mRNA vaccine is opening up all of these avenues of research into new vaccines that are really, really promising, um, which is so exciting. It's like, what does the future hold, you know? Like, yeah. will there be a vaccine for MS? That's, they're working on that, you know? Like, that's incredible. incredible. Yeah, so. What is time to be alive? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in many ways, what a time to be alive. <laughs> uh, 
so gastroparesis is next. When did that when did that kick off and how did that manifest for you? So I really started noticing symptoms of the gastroparesis like stomach bloating and throwing up all the time and and that kind of thing in 2017 and uh, they actually put me on a feeding tube at that point because I was mm-hmm. you know, throwing up so often. So, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so they put you on a feeding tube and then you do you just uh, have like a, a bag of fluid or, or nutrients that you just kind of connect into the tube. It goes straight into your intestines. Is that what happens? Right. Right. So, yeah, it's a, you have a pump and kind of like an IV bag that you put the the feeding formula or nutrition in. And then it's, um, I had an NG tube. So that goes from your nose into your stomach. And I had mm. an NG tube, which like bypasses the stomach. Um, then they actually placed a J tube in my stomach surgically. Um, but it got infected. So mm. we had to remove that. And um, I'm on TPN now. If you don't know what TPN is, it's actually, it's IV nutrition. So it, mm. you don't have to process everything through the stomach. <laughs> wow. So do you not eat? I can eat, but it makes me really sick. How, and So do you do it like occasionally? Occasionally, I can still do, I can still place my own NG tubes like through my nose that go mm-hmm. into my stomach. Wow. And, but I, I throw up a lot. So I end up throwing up that tube. Hmm. Um, but I continue to try to use, you know, try to keep my stomach moving. I still try. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Wow. All these, there's so many changes that your body goes through with all these different things. It must be hard yeah. to stay afloat. You know, I know when anytime a new symptom or a new change or something or something else that I have to accommodate for in my own body arises, it's, I always have a hard time. I always want to fight against it. You know, like whenever I, I never want to <laughs> take new medications or anything, I just want them to find the fix and, and fix me, right. you know, yes. but you like that thinking doesn't work. You kind of have to just kind of go with the flow of your body. And if you try something and it helps, you have to keep doing it. You know, like if, you know, like going gluten-free or something, I tried that, it helped. I keep doing it. And whenever I ever once in a while, I'll try eating gluten and then I'll feel horrible and be like, well, <laughs> I guess I got to keep doing this. Like you have to like, yeah, set these things up and just like prop them up and then keep them held up. And there's just a lot. Yeah. There's a lot. <laughs> it, it is. And it. And I don't think doctors, well, and other people too, I don't think they realize, you know, how much one thing impacts another thing. Like yeah. if you're not, if you're not sleeping well, mm-hmm. that affects your ability to take care of your body. If you're in pain, that affects your ability to sleep or to take care of your body. And it's just all these factors that I'm not sure that they always think about when they're actually treating patients. Yeah, totally. And like side effects from different medications and how they can medications sometimes can conflict. Um, Yes. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I feel like doctors are like prescribing things to me almost like in a cavalier way where it's like, well, you'll do this and it'll be better. I'm like, well, 
that has these side effects and I already have dizziness. And if this adds dizziness to my dizziness, I'm not going to be standing, you know? Yeah. yeah <laughs> or if you add nausea to my nausea, I'm going to be in real, real trouble. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So, so the gastroparesis starts and then, um, how, and when was that? How, how long ago was that? Um, that was around 2017, so I was 37 okay. at that time. And you've been using a feeding tube since then? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Is there, is there any hope with gastroparesis of, of it stopping or reversing or anything like that? Or is it just once it's happening, it's happening, and you just have to keep plugging through it? You know, I'm... <sighs> I think there, I think it just really varies on the mm, person. Yeah. Gastroparesis is kind of a spectrum disorder too, where some people can have very mild symptoms and some people have very severe symptoms Yeah, and anything in between there. Um, I don't know that for a lot of people that it really gets better. Um, I don't know of a lot of people who have, have really improved with it, I guess I should say, but yeah my experience with it it's pretty limited so. yeah it's another one of those things where we don't know the cause also right yeah it's like right. your, your body starts attacking itself and all of these different autoimmune issues start popping up and we're just trying yeah. to stay ahead of them um yeah and keep you going yeah treating just trying to treat the symptoms yeah okay so then you have your adrenal cancer diagnosis after your surgery what was the recovery from that surgery like um, the recovery, it was pretty standard, just a six week recovery. Um, they did put me on the chemo, the, the one and only chemotherapy drug for adrenal cancer. And this drug is actually, have you heard of DDT? That it's an illegal familiar. pesticide. Oh yeah. They yeah. Used, they used to dust kids with it, like back in the fifties and sixties oh yeah. for lice or something. <laughs> so this, this, this pesticide is illegal in the United States, but we use it for adrenal cancer. Wow. <laughs> so <laughs> I was on that drug for a while, but it, it's terrible. Like it makes, you know, it makes you nauseated, makes you dizzy, just all kinds of stuff. Um, and then I also went through a, a 30 rounds of radiation too. Wow, 30 rounds of radiation. Yeah. That must have been tough. How did your body react to that with all this other stuff already going on? It, it was tough. Um, in, in the middle of my radiation, I actually got sepsis. Mm. Um, I had a port back then, and it got infected. So it was a hard couple months. <laughs> yeah. And then your next issue was the adrenal insufficiency. So once they took out this adrenal cancer, then you, then your body is, does not have the resources it used to. How did that adrenal insufficiency manifest for you? So the chemotherapy drug that I was on actually causes adrenal insufficiency as long as you're on it. Most people, when they have their adrenal gland removed, the other adrenal gland just picks up. Like it, it mm. does, it does the job of what two of them would do yeah but for some some reason my adrenal gland never picked back up so um i became adrenal insufficient and have to be on steroids like 
we can't live without steroids. Um, mm-hmm. Like if, if I'm in a, in a car accident or have a medical emergency, if somebody doesn't give me an emergency dose of IV or a shot of steroids, um, I wouldn't live. I would go into an adrenal crisis. What is an adrenal crisis? So adrenal crisis happens when you don't have enough adrenal hormones and um, basically your body goes into shock. And you you can't you can't survive without you know emergency steroids. Wow! And adrenal hormones is that is that related to adrenaline? I'm guessing. Yes, like epinephrine. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be like adrenaline, cortisol, which kind of helps you to helps to regulate like your blood sugar levels. Yeah. But it also it also helps you with healing, like the body's ability to heal. Mm-hmm. So. Um, obviously without enough cortisol, then you can't heal properly. Yeah. It just all gets so complicated. Like you said, you know, everything affects everything else. It is. It's complicated. Yeah. So the next on your list is Graves disease. So when, what happened with that? When did that start? So the Graves disease started in 2019 and I was around 39 years old. Um, all within one month, I lost like 40 pounds, mm. just boom. And my heart rate was so high, like higher than normal. <laughs> it's already high, but it was a lot higher. Um, I was like hot all the time and sweating all the time, having heart palpitations. So um, I went through some blood tests and that's how they diagnosed the Graves disease. Mm. Is there a medication for that? There is is a, a medication called meth meth the, <laughs> can't say it methimazole. Hmm. And what does that help to regulate? It blocks the thyroid hormone so that your I guess your thyroid can't make as much thyroxin, hmm. I think. Wow. <laughs> so do you still have Hashimoto's disease? And Graves' disease at the same time? Yes, I didn't know that that was possible. But yeah. you can actually have, you can have the antibodies for for both. Like, so if you if you have Hashimoto's, you should usually have an antibody test done to see if you make the autoantibodies. And the same is is true for Graves' disease. So you can actually have markers for both, and they aren't like happening at the same time. Like mm. uh, obviously Hajimoto's usually causes low thyroid, hypothyroid and Graves disease causes usually hy- hyperthyroid. So like you can swing back and forth if mm. you have both, both of those diseases. Wow. So you can swing between, you know, hypothyroidism and hyperthyroidism. Wow. Um, and then the last thing on your list is the suspected uh, kidney cancer. So what's happening with that? So I returned to, um, well, so adrenal cancer only has like one hospital in the entire U S that deals with it because it's so rare. So, um, they're the ones that found the suspected kidney cancer. And I go back in a little over a week to, um, the university of Michigan to see a urologist oncologist 
for the first time and decide, you know, get like I'm having scans done for the adrenal cancer and for the kidney cancer. And then I'll meet with both teams there to decide how to progress. Hmm. So there's a, they've noticed something in your kidney that they think could be cancerous and they're not sure yet. And they're trying to decide Mm -hmm. what the next step is. So you're still in the, you're in the midst of this, like you're in this battle Right. right now. Right. Right. I mean, we're not ruling out adrenal cancer being in my kidney either. We don't, mm, we don't know. Maybe this is a recurrence and yes. not, not a new cancer, but a recurrence. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, like with my testicular cancer, I was told that if I get um, cancer in the lymph nodes of my stomach, that it would be testicular cancer in the lymph nodes of my stomach. That if one cancer spreads from one place to another, it's, it's considered to be like the originating cancer still. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. Man, you, you've been through so much in the last few years. Um, yes. <laughs> your life has just taken this huge turn. So I, I know from some of our correspondents that you, in the midst of that, applied for disability and you were denied and had to get a lawyer. Um, and what you told me about that story through email was fascinating. I'd love to hear a little bit about that story. I'm laughing at the <laughs> irony of it. Like, how how do you deny someone with all these issues? <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> just it just blows my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jesse, I I lost my train of thought there. Yeah, no, I totally hear you. Like, I I I knew I was going to get denied my first time, but I was still shocked based off of the medical evaluation <laughs> that I had, where I was just not like, almost by the end of it, I was like non functional. Um, and then you get a letter in the mail saying, you can go back to work. I'm like, okay, um, are you going to hire me? I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was listening to you talk a little bit about that. And I loved what you said. Like, who, who would hire us with, you know, maybe we can come into work tomorrow. Maybe we can't. Maybe we can come in for one hour. Yeah. And then we can't, like, where would, where would we work? <laughs> yeah. Would you expect a raging two-year-old to work a professional job? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, okay. So you were denied the first time and then you had to go to court because um, you're, you're, you said that adrenal cancer is supposed to be on an automatic approval list. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. So, um, I thought, you know, I'm an educated person. I thought that I could go through the disability process myself and read the paperwork and fill it out. Well, so I did that. I took it on myself and made sure that they had all the records and everything and was denied, um, during each of the three phases. And after I was denied, I just, took the whole case to an attorney Mm -hmm. and she said in her 30 years that she had never seen a failure this bad by the social security administration. Mm -hmm. So she actually did something called on the record and on the record means that if you have a really serious illness and an excellent disability claim, the attorney can actually just take your paperwork, send it to the judge and send it to 
the Social Security Administration's, one of their expert doctors. And that expert doctor will just read your medical records and make a recommendation to the judge. Mm -hmm. So this doc, this expert doctor for Social Security, he read my my medical records and was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> y'all messed up. <laughs> y'all messed up really bad. So he sent it to the judge and the judge was like, you know, stamped it approved. It was it was just a crazy process. Like I, I just I empathize with people who are denied because you know we're we're struggling just to survive and yeah and being denied is the norm it's really important to know that to to expect yeah. it you know to know that you're going to have to gear up for a fight you're very likely going to have to get a lawyer um yep. yeah i'm like in this weird position where i'm either going to have to gear up for that or i'm going to get a diagnosis and not need it you know and i still don't even know right. i'm wait still waiting for this freaking test um yeah yeah, the 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 twenty four hour urine collection penicillamine challenge still has not happened for me because I can't I can't get the medication. Like no one in Seattle has it, and now we're trying to get it from a specialty pharmacy. And my doctor has not placed the order. And I'm calling every day. I'm calling every day. I'm like, why has this order not been placed? And it's why just not happening. Know? You know, it's and I only have sixty days to appeal my disability claim, and I really need this test because. If it's if it's positive and I you know if if I'm gonna get treatment that might make it better I might not need to reapply, and if it's negative and I have uh, I mean even if it's positive I might not get better even if I do treatment so I might have right. you know I'll have new information I need new information to send in for the appeal, and I'm yeah. like desperate for this new information either way and I just can't get it done, and you know it's it's infuriating. I just need the freaking test. Yeah. Just order the, yeah. send in the How prescription. Hard is it? It's very yeah. hard. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently it's very hard to send <laughs> in a prescription hard. to a specialty pharmacy. Like they've never done that before. Right. <laughs> I have no idea. I don't know what's going on, but anyway. Okay. So in the midst of all of this, what are your coping mechanisms? Um, you know, as simple as like distraction therapy, obviously you're on a lot of medication. What is getting you through the day? Um, I would say as far as coping that in the last several years, I've learned not to overdo things. Like when I would have good moments, I would just run around and try to do everything and then be <laughs> slammed for yeah. like in bed for a week. And so I've slowed myself down and, you know, make sure that I'm not doing that. And then it's really helped me to to break up tasks. Like I always use this example. If I were going to, let's say the dishes are full of the sink, <laughs> the dishes are, the dishes are full of the sink. You see, <laughs> see what I did there? <laughs> if the sink is full of dishes, um, I'll do like maybe 10 dishes and then, you know, sit down and rest for a little bit and mm -hmm. then go back and do 10 more. I think it's really helped me to just change my, my expectations for myself. You know, I can do a lot more if I take lots of breaks. Yeah. Very wise. I'm, I'm going through the same process right now. It's like, um, like I had to clean my apartment 
And that was just such a daunting task. And I live in a very small apartment. So I'm like, okay, we're going to put the dishes away then lie down and take a break. And then we're going to clean the countertop, lie down and take a break. Yes. Um, yeah, exactly. Like really stretching yeah. things out. I gave myself a full day to do something that used to take me an hour. Um, right. Gave myself a full day to do it, broke it up into little tasks and I got it done. You know, it happened. Yeah, it feels good too. Like yeah. it took me it took me years to learn that. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I wish someone had told me like 5 years ago, you know, slow down and break things up because yeah. you feel good at the end of the day because you're like, yeah, I got my apartment clean today. Yeah, find a guilty pleasure and indulge yeah. in it during your breaks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what I do. I've been really addicted to this video game Warframe for a while and it's something where I could sit and play it all day, but it's very unproductive. <laughs> but I'll give it to myself as a treat when my body's like, okay, you got to sit down. You got to sit down, you know? I'm like, okay, well, right. that's great. Let's play some Warframe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you have or things like that? I'm, are there are there things that your guilty pleasures yes. that give you joy? What, do you, what are yours? TikTok's my guilty Yeah, pleasure. TikTok. <laughs> it just makes me laugh so much. But, you know, sometimes I'll be struggling to push through a, a daily task and then i'll be like if i can just get you know five more dishes washed then i'll watch a few tiktoks and yeah. it helps to motivate me and helps me to push through sometimes absolutely i do that too tiktok is is the exact same thing where it's like i could sit and do this all day yeah <laughs> and yeah. it's it's very non-productive so I'm just right. going to use it. <laughs> I'm going to use it as my guilty pleasure when my body needs a break. And yeah, yeah, TikTok you can watch for one minute or ten hours. You know. <laughs> yes, yes. Don't fall down the TikTok hole. You'll be there forever. Yeah, but there's so much to learn and so much to see on TikTok. Yeah. It, it takes you around the world. You know. Yeah, it's, it does. It's such a powerful platform. I really, really love it. I. I know like social media is so complicated and our relationship with social media is so complicated. And I'm just like really scared that we'll find out something awful about the company of TikTok at some point, you know, like yeah. maybe it's owned by Mark Zuckerberg all along, you know, and no. I'm just, you know, really <laughs> trying to enjoy it while, while it's good. <laughs> yeah. There, you know, there's so much, it amazes me how each platform is a little bit different. Like, I consider Facebook kind of, well, actually a lot negative mm -hmm. <laughs> and TikTok is not that for me. It is, it's not negative. Like there's so much rallying and support and encouragement, mm -hmm. especially as someone with chronic illness. Mm -hmm. it's, it's been a really helpful thing for me. Yeah, totally. And there's so much visibility for disability, which is really yeah. exciting. Like I've, I've been exposed to so many uh, people that I never would have seen, um, you know, talking about their disabilities, demonstrating how they do things in their daily lives. And I'm like, man, like uh, film and TV don't show these people. And then now they can show themselves. And it's so powerful. Like film and TV should show these people. Like this is a huge part of life. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, like I saw someone who was an ambulatory, I've seen a few ambulatory wheelchair users mm -hmm. and I'm one myself. So right. and that means that you have a wheelchair and you can't walk very far, but you can walk a little bit and some days are better than others. And sometimes you can, you can do things on your feet and some days you can't. Um, 
So being able to see other people posting about that was so validating for me. I really just appreciate seeing stuff like that. Uh, you know, and there's so many people, you know, like I just, I just had this experience last week when we re- released the episode with Elias talking about their uh, ankylosing spondylitis. And I found out oh, that yeah. I personally know two other people with that disease and that I, and one of them has never met anyone else with their disease. And it just showed me that, you know, when we don't talk yeah. about this stuff, it remains a secret, you know, it remains hidden. And if you talk about it, then you can find commonality with other people. And TikTok does that in a huge way. It's really exciting. Yeah, I've I've often said, and I don't know if someone has said this previously, but I want to make the invisible visible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You no, know, those of us with invisible illnesses, we don't need to hide behind closed doors because that's what society tells us that, you know, our situation is too uncomfortable. We can, we can be visible and other people who don't understand, they can get a little uncomfortable and get mm. over it. You know, <laughs> we're uncomfortable every dang day. So. Yeah, I love it. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, being chronically ill does not mean that you're not a cool person who doesn't have fun and passion and love things. Um, right. Yeah. And, you know, like this conversation is a great example of that. Like you, you have so much, um, personality and joy and life in you and i've gotten to experience that today and it's been an absolute joy for me to talk to you um and it's our commonality of chronic illness that brings us together and i love it it's just so great (laughs) it 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 just feels so good you know to talk about yeah if anything good can come out of this it's definitely been the people that you meet like Mm -hmm. i don't know chronic illness has a way of refining people Mm, yeah adding adding depth to them yeah and also it disaffects your relationships so much how how has this affected your relationships oh (laughs) (laughs) i i would love i was thinking about this earlier i'd love to do just like have like a zoom meeting and talk about relationships among those with chronic illness and Mm. i i don't mean just like partners like you know romantic partnerships i mean just friends and family too it's it's really complicated i was thinking of a friend who i've recently met a new friend in my neighborhood and this person you know i try to explain i can't always call you right back Mm -hmm. and you know it might take me a day or two to call you back and because i'm feeling bad And, and they take it personal like that I don't want to talk to him. Yeah. It, it's just all these different things. And it's like, no, I'm not blowing you off. I promise. Yeah. I'd love to talk to you, but I just, you know, some days you just feel really bad and you don't have the extra energy to give. Yeah. No, it, it can be a, the difference between like making yourself worse and recovering can be yes. being social. Like you got to save your spoons when you're really low. And I, I did this yeah. last night. I have this good friend that I really want to see and we've rescheduled a couple times and I had to bail last night because I, I was feeling really rough and I knew that if I sat up and forced myself to have a conversation, I would get worse. Um, and I just knew that I needed to cancel that night and developing <laughs> language around how you tell your friends that you're canceling friends and family that you're canceling over and over, you know, 
developing a way to tell them, you know, I really want to see you and I want to make sure it's on a day where I have the the juice to do it. And this is not that day. And I'm so sorry. Um, Can we reschedule for this day? And also like with Andy in particular, I know that sometimes when I'm feeling really rough, I can be not as much fun to be around. Yeah. And people around you can sometimes take that, take that personally. So making sure that in my good moments, I'm thinking back to my social interactions and trying to correct any wrong that may have been done and saying, Hey, I hope, you know, I, I was really feeling rough last night. It had absolutely nothing to do with you. I really appreciated you being there, even though I was a bummer to be around. Um, it's taken me years to kind of realize how much, um, you know, this is a great example. Actually, we're talking about ASL and the body language that you use when you speak in ASL body language is really important. And when you're chronically ill, you give off, you can give off negative body language without being aware of it. So trying to manage that and make sure that you're um, telling the people around you, you know, that might be assuming that you're mad at them, that it had nothing to do with them is really important. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. My mom and I were having a conversation a week or so ago and, you know, I knew in the moment that I was short with her and I could tell that she was kind of taken aback and hurt. And, you know, I I had to correct myself right away and say, you know, please don't take it personal. I'm just struggling right now. It's not you. It's not anything that you're doing. And, you know, I think we do have to be cognitive Mm -hmm. of that. Like you said, like, Mm -hmm. you know, be aware of how our illness, illnesses impact other people. It's, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's another thing to add on to this weight yes. that you're constantly holding up. Um, yeah. Is it Atlas that's holding up the earth? That like, <laughs> that art, whatever it is. Yeah, that's like a chronic illness. Um, like you're holding up the whole yeah. earth above you. Right. And it just gets heavier all the time. It does. It's, I would say out of everything that I deal with, for the most part, that relationships are probably the most difficult mm, like wow nav- navigating chronic illness with your friends and your family and your partner and like it's it's complicated it's, it's hard, so hard. It's, it's so hard especially because you can't plan right right do you think about the future do you plan for the future or is that are you in a day-to-day mode i'm more in day-to-day mode yeah you know i don't don't really know what the future is going to hold. So yeah, I just, I try to stay present as much, as much as possible. And I, I remember in one of the, your podcasts, you were talking about say, staying present. I'm like, Oh, <laughs> not very many people talk about that. You know, just yeah. trying to get through that moment. Yeah. I'm, I'm in the same boat and I feel like oftentimes the path to joy is being present in the moment. Yeah. Because thinking about the future doesn't usually bring you joy, no matter what your scenario is. It can be exciting. It can be scary. um, But it's, you know, imaginary. But if you focus on what's now and what's happening to you in the moment, then that's how you can actually feel joy. Because if you're like, oh, man. I really love this video game. I'm so happy I'm playing this right now. Shut out the rest of the world. I really enjoy this TikTok in this moment, this entertainment or this person or this conversation, like anything immediate. Those are when you, those are the moments when you feel joy. 
So finding ways to get yourself in that moment and enjoy the moment the most you can, get your body comfortable, listen to your body, do what it tells you to do. Even though you're being tossed around by an angry toddler, you gotta <laughs> you gotta <laughs> yeah. do what they tell you to. Um, yeah. That's that's when I feel the most joy. And I think in chronic illness, it's so, so, so important to take care of the moment and be in the moment. Um, and yeah, like yeah. I can't plan for the future. When I think about it, I get terrified. I don't know what the future yeah. holds or if I have a future, you know? Right. Like that's, that's something that's really hard to conceptualize. So the less I think about it and the more I think about the moment, the, more, the happier I am. But that's very difficult for friends, family, loved ones who want, who want to have you in their future mm -hmm. and want to plan for it. That can be almost impossible. And I don't know what to do about that. You know, I'm still trying to figure that out. Yeah, my, my, I, I, your situation just makes my heart just feel crushed. Like, I just can't imagine not knowing, like, not knowing, you know, a, a def definitive diagnosis or a definitive treatment, you know, when you yeah, have a diagnosis. I know. I mean, just, it depends. It depends. Cause like, if I were to get a diagnosis, um, that was particularly bad, I will wish that I could go back to not having one. <laughs> true, true. True. You didn't want to know after all, right? Yeah, it's like, no, 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 I changed my mind. I mean, my, Just kidding. Like, yeah, finding a diagnosis has been my life's goal. Like, it is my life's work at this point. And I don't, I don't even know who I will be if I get one. And if I get a good one, if I get a Wilson's diagnosis and there's treatment and I could live a full lifespan, I'm gonna be like, oh my God. Like what? What do I do? Yeah. But Wait, what I can get better? Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I'm always scared of something like, you know, I, I don't even want to go into any specifics, but things that have yeah. come up before um, that would su significantly shorten my lifespan, where I will never improve, where I will, you know, get worse and worse and and die. And I have spent a fair amount of time thinking about that. And trying to, sure, yeah, trying to find a way to live with that. And because I'm not in that situation presently, I try not to dwell on that too much because I, I you know, this whole thing about like future tripping, future planning, when you don't know what's going to happen, if you think your way through trauma before it happens and then it happens, you experience it twice. And if you think your way yes. through trauma and it doesn't happen, you've experienced it once for no reason. This was my big lesson from having testicular cancer is that every time I have pain in my body, I assume it's cancer <laughs> after that. Right. And, right. I've, and every time I go in and get it checked out, it, it's not so far. So the anxiety and the fear of worrying that I have cancer, I don't need to experience that every time I have a sore muscle, you know? Um, yeah. Or every time I'm bloated or, or something, you know, like stomach pain or whatever. Because yeah. um, yeah. like every time it happens, I'm like, <laughs> is it cancer? <laughs> and like learning to quiet that voice has been really difficult for me. But I'm, it's something I'm still working on because I've learned that it's in my best interest to not go down those trains of thought without definitive proof that I should. Right. And a lot of times, you know, when we do think about the future, 
a lot of, you know, 99% of the time, it never happens the way that we imagine <laughs> that it could. Totally. It never, it never ends up, yeah, it never ends up being the thing that we think it is usually, you know. It's, Absolutely. The brain has this way of making it seem really horrendous. And sometimes it is, but <laughs> sometimes it's not. Totally. That's so true. I mean, who could have predicted five years ago that we'd all be living through the deadliest pandemic in American history or world history, yeah. I guess. I don't know. Is yeah. it world history? I don't know stuff. I think, I think so. Yeah. But imagine if five years ago we were worrying about this moment. Hmm. Like. Interesting. You know, we were, we were worrying about the pandemic or the possibility of a pandemic. Yeah. I mean, there were people who were worrying about it. And we're screaming at us right, like, we, right. we, we need better preparation. <laughs> yeah. And then a lot of our preparations were True. dismantled in that time, <laughs> which is ridiculous yeah. politics we don't need yeah. to get into. But um, right. yeah, right. but yeah, that it's so interesting. Yeah, I just, I just don't, you know, there's no right answers. It's like, how, how are you supposed to predict the future and act accordingly? You can't. You have to take what's given to you and do the best you can with it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been fantastic. I'm so glad we had this conversation, Brooke. I've enjoyed it so much. Um, I'm so excited to share this. You've been through so much that is so valuable to share, and you're just so much fun to talk to. I just really, really had a blast today. I appreciate your time so much. Um, I do have one last question yes, for thank you. you Jesse. Yeah, my absolute pleasure. So, yes. normally I ask people, you know, if you were to tell someone who's just diagnosed with your condition, what would you do? But in your case, there's just so many conditions that I feel like mm -hmm. you can speak so well to the, um, the escalation of chronic issues where they start to pile on each other, where you'll have one and then there's another and then there's mm -hmm. another. And that's something that a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of us go through. So, what would you tell someone who's at the beginning of that journey who has maybe gotten their second diagnosis or their third and now has to add something to the pile that they have to hold up. What have you learned that you would share with someone at the beginning of that journey that you think would be helpful? I think I would say, you know, as you're facing these new challenges that are coming up, you know, to maybe reflect on what you've already been through a little bit. And know that the strength inside of you that got you through those first few things or first few diagnoses is going to be what's going to help carry you through the next thing and the next thing that may happen. Mm. I personally have found that after so many diagnoses, that another diagnosis and another one, it just, it gets a little bit easier. I know mm. that's crazy to say. But mm. that's got to sound crazy, you know, to go from type one diabetes to one of the rarest cancers on the planet. <laughs> and I'm telling you that it gets easier. Like that can't make sense. But I just, like I said, I think that all those previous diagnoses built strength inside of me that mm. I'm like, I got this. Wow. I love that. that. That's a fantastic answer. And you're right. It does get easier. I, because now I know that, you know, anything that's added on to the pile, I will deal with because 
I've been dealing with so much for so long, I've learned those skills. And, you know, when I was younger, the idea of having even just like a bacterial or a viral infection, like something temporary um, and not serious was horrifying to me. You know, mm-hmm. the idea that my body wasn't, was no longer perfect was horrifying. And I think that is a, a common thing for people when they're younger. And now I recognize that, you know, my body could deteriorate further and I'd still have so much joy in my life and so much love in my life and to value those things. And I've developed strength to deal with it. And that is really, it will make it easier. You're, I think you're so right about that. I love that answer. Thank um, you, Justin. Yeah. Is there anything that you want to share? Do you want to share your TikTok or anything that you'd like to direct people towards? Um, that's okay. I don't need to plug my TikTok. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not here for fame or anything yeah. or to be a, a mega influencer. I, I just want people to be aware of invisible illnesses and to be, you know, I'm just hopeful that someone may come along in the future that needs this information and hear it and, yes. and maybe it will help them in some way. Absolutely. Well, your time today has been a massive gift. I appreciate it so much. You did an Thanks, incredible Jesse. job. Brooke, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Major Pain. I'm Jesse Mercury, your host and the producer of this podcast. Artwork by Egg Salad Salad. Our theme music is the song Time Machine from my sci-fi synth-pop album, available at jessemercury.bandcamp.com. Send your thoughts or questions to our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use that address to find us on PayPal. Tips are greatly appreciated. Don't forget to leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Find more information about this show or leave a comment on any episode at our website, majorpainpodcast.com. Major Pain is supported by listeners on Patreon. Thank you to our $2 per month supporters, our $7 per month patrons Naomi Adele Smith, Sunny Roberts, Laura Stevens, and Brooke Walters-Schmidt, and our $25 per month producers Steve Cavanaugh and Chris Fowler. Learn how you can support the show while receiving special recognition and gifts at patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast.